I invite you to turn with me in Holy Scripture to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. And our sermon text today is verses 14 through 29. Mark, chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and inspired word of the Lord. This is Jesus and three of his disciples, and it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out, And convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Loved ones in Christ, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let us go to the Lord and ask for his help to understand this passage. Blessed Lord, who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear, read, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It is very difficult to come off of mountaintop experiences. If you've ever taken a great vacation, it is hard to get back to the grind of the workplace. Kids, if you've ever taken a holiday from school, it's hard to get back to work, isn't it? Mountaintop experiences are really hard to come off of, 
But here in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 and following, we see Jesus and three of his disciples coming off the most glorious kind of mountaintop experience, and they show us a way through. Jesus, at least, shows us the way through. We have just seen in the previous passage the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ, a preview of his heavenly glory. Peter, James, and John, these three disciples, were there with him. They saw the cloud, and they heard the voice of the Father. They were there in that triune glory with Jesus on the mountaintop. But now, they're coming down the mountain. Moses came down from the mountain, Mount Sinai, and he found the Israelites in the chaos of idolatry bowing down to a false god and, and, and partying in a godless manner. Here, Jesus and the three disciples, in a similar manner, come down to find the rest of the disciples in this great crowd in chaos of their own, with his own esteemed disciples unable to stand up to demons. And this is where we live most of our life. Not up on the mountaintop in great, glorious experiences, one right after the other, but down in the valley, off of the mountain, in the midst of stressful lives, chaotic situations, things that feel like they're out of, completely out of our control, and we too feel unable to stand up to our spiritual enemies in the midst of it all. And so we fall into sin, and we fall into spiritual depression, And the devil seems to loom large in our lives. We're filled with fear instead of joy in the Holy Spirit. And we think if we could just get back up on the mountain. If we could just be in the glory cloud with Jesus. Then we'd find our way through. Because that's where the glory, that's where the power resides. Well, in this passage today, we find that faith is the major theme. Faith comes to us in the the words faith and faithlessness, belief and unbelief. It's all the same thing. It's talking about faith or the lack thereof. And this is important because Jesus uses this encounter to teach us that faith ascends the mountain. Faith is what causes us to reach back up to that mountain where Christ is. And we do this particularly through the exercise of prayer. In the midst of suffering, failure, even demonic oppression, which we all face, faith reaches up to where Jesus Christ is, and it is through that instrument of faith that we receive the power that we need, not to live our lives coasting as though we are always on the mountaintop, but to have power that we need, strength that we need, down off of the mountain where we live our lives. What does that look like? Well, first we have to see what it looks like to have no faith or to lack faith dramatically. So first this morning, we we see the absence of faith. If faith reaches up to the mountain to receive power from the ascended Christ, then to have no faith or to lack it in a substantial manner means you're stuck in this world without hope. This is part of what the book of Ecclesiastes gets at when it says that everything under the sun here is vanity. 
You have to have something that reaches beyond the sun in order to have hope in this world. Otherwise, the time just bowls over you like a, a, a grinding stone. And one hopeless thing after another comes at you in life. And, and unbelief leaves us to deal with all of that vanity here on our own. Here in Mark chapter 9, as Jesus and Peter, James, and John arrive, they are coming into the middle of a big mess. The major players in this story are the other disciples who did not come up on the Mount of Transfiguration with them. There are the scribes who are the teachers of the law, the kind of authoritative um, interpreters of the law who have their own scribal tradition that's been very problematic. A father with his demon-possessed son and a great crowd of people that has been attracted to this, this hubbub here. In verse 14, we see that the scribes are, as the ESV translates it, they're arguing with the disciples. But this is a, a phrase that we saw back in chapter 8, verse 11, with the Pharisees. The scribes belong kind of to this, this religious party of the Pharisees. And we see them all kind of doing this arguing with Jesus. And back in chapter 8, verse 11, the Pharisees are said to be arguing or disputing with Jesus, demanding a sign. Demanding a sign from heaven. In other words, this isn't like a civil dialogue that's going on. It's not uh, people who consider one another to be equals and hashing out in, in a, a cordial debate their differences of opinions. This is a very contentious dispute that's taking place between those who very outwardly and aggressively oppose Christ and his disciples. And at the center of this dispute is whether Jesus and his team are actually able to cast out this demon. Are they really a movement from God? Now, are, if they are, then surely even the followers of Jesus would be able to cast out a demon from this child. But they're unable to do so. And so the disciples fail publicly. The scribes are allowed to continue to oppose Jesus. And this poor father still has a demon-possessed son. It's a mess. It's a mess. And this whole situation leads Jesus to say in verse 19, O faithless generation. That's the absence of faith that we are talking about here. And one danger of this unbelief is seen in the disciples themselves. It is a loss of power, a loss of spiritual power. Christ himself had given them authority to cast out demons. It had come from him to them, but here they falter in that power. That's one of the dangers of unbelief. Another danger of unbelief, and far worse, is the hard-heartedness that we see on display in the scribes and in the Pharisees time and again, even in their brief appearance here in verse 14. But I think the danger that is most on our minds, the danger of unbelief that, that piques our interest the most here in Mark chapter 9 is the oppression of demons. This is the reality of our fallen world. We are not um, naturalists. Believers recognize that there is always spiritual warfare and battle taking place in the heavenly realms and that this invades our world and it has real consequences 
for people, including the people of God. The devil oppresses people, including Christians. He oppresses people. But unbelief makes us particularly vulnerable to such oppression. This is likely a young child that we read about in the story, and he has suffered under a a demonic power, verse 21 says, from childhood. It's a truly awful situation that is described here. This demon has enslaved the boy with an illness that makes him nonverbal. Jesus calls him a, a deaf spirit, a deaf demon as well, so perhaps the boy couldn't hear as a result of this demon's oppression. And it throws this boy into horrifying and potentially deadly seizures. And so there is no time to waste. This is a, a very desperate situation for the boy and for his father. Now, we, in this gospel, we see that both Jews and Gentiles are subject to very dramatic displays of oppression by demons. Both Jews and Gentiles. Both those who are supposed to be the in crowd and those who are far from God. And we are not always given the specific reasons as to what has led to those conditions. What, what has led to such huge displays of demonic opposition and oppression? Uh, was it the consequence of dabbling specifically in demonic things? Probably in many cases, yes. Was it the mysterious providence of God that from his fatherly hand he allows these afflictions to come upon even the people of God? Well, that does happen. I think here in this passage it is probably the former. We don't know much about this family, about this, this father. But we recognize unbelief at work. Unbelief makes the oppression of the devil worse. It makes it worse. Because it leaves you trapped in the sufferings of this world instead of reaching out to Christ for relief and for help. Even though the boys eventually heal, the father shows that unbelief is is a factor in the boy's suffering. He says in verse 24, help my unbelief. He says it himself. It is a factor in some way. Now, We read stories like this in the Gospels, and I think if we're not careful, they can fill us with dread instead of, in a kind of undistracted way, give us confidence in the right things. So, you know, especially when children are involved in these stories, we have to be careful about um, overindulging in, uh, in, in, in ungodly interest in these kinds of things. And even more importantly, we have to be sure of a couple of things. These kinds of things have to be our rock-solid foundation. The first is, there's a difference between oppression and possession. We have a good biblical warrant to say there's a difference between demons oppressing someone and possessing someone. Demons are the oppressors of God's people, and sometimes they do this in terrible ways to true believers. But if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, then you are the temple of God, as Paul tells us. And a demon cannot reside where the Holy Spirit has taken up residence. A demon cannot possess those who belong to the Lord. 
So we make a distinction between oppression and possession. The second thing we have to be sure about is that we believe in the promises of of God. That as long as our children are under our care, as a rule, they are consecrated to God. This is Paul's point in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. They're holy. They're sanctified because they are part of a covenant where God has made promises to them. And insofar as they are belonging to, the, to a covenant household, then they enjoy the same promise of the Holy Spirit that you do if you are a mature believer and the Holy Spirit dwells within. In other words, there's ample comfort and protection for us to enjoy even as we face kind of fearful passages like this one. So take comfort in those promises and turn your back on the unbelief that makes the power of our enemies so much worse. That's the absence of faith. But secondly, we have to see the growth of faith. The growth of faith. Of all the major players in this story, the scribes are completely faithless and hard-hearted. They don't have anything to teach us about faith growing. But from the little boy's father and the disciples, we learn a little bit about how faith grows and how we, we come to a faith that ascends the mountain and gets help. Notice the circumstances that lead to their faith growing. The circumstances that lead to their faith growing. For the father of the little boy, it's a confrontation. And for the disciples, it's failure. Those are the circumstances that God uses to develop and to enlarge their faith. Now think about that for a moment. Properly speaking, it's God's word that grows your faith. But it is so often in our very worst and darkest moments that we suddenly realize the true power of that word and we recognize our need for it. And so with even a little faith, In very dark circumstances, even things like hard confrontation and failure can become the circumstances for growth in your faith. The disciples here face a public failure. They recognize that they've lost this ability that they've once had. And that is, that failure is the very circumstance that leads them to ask Jesus in verse 28, why could we not cast out the demon? You know, for all their failures and all their weaknesses and in their own way, all their opposition to Jesus and his program for salvation, we have to give him credit here. That they, in, in the midst of failure, they return to the source of power and they ask him for understanding. Why couldn't we do this? Maybe you've experienced in your life downturns in your spiritual strength in in what you perceive to be power that in other times in life seems to overcome temptation. But now it's, it's more marked by a weakness and there are failures in the Christian life. And maybe these take on even a public, a public nature to them and they're embarrassing. Don't despair in the midst of failure. You can allow that failure to lead you further into embarrassment and further into despair, or you can allow it to turn you to Christ who will turn that failure into a season of growth. 
as he does with these disciples. And with the the boy's father, we see growth in his faith after a confrontation. In human terms, given the very desperate situation that he finds himself in and the failure of the disciples to cast the demon out of his son, we probably have some understanding as to why he's skeptical that Jesus may not be able to cast this demon out himself. He says in verse 22, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But Jesus confronts him on this very point. In verse 23, he says, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. In other words, one who has faith. Now, Jesus' point here is not that we get whatever we want or we can do anything that that our, our minds conceive of because we have faith. As many have abused this verse to say, Jesus' point is that faith receives the almighty help of God. That is how you get the help that you need off the mountainside. That's how you tap into, if we can use language like this, that is how you tap into the power and the glory of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is through faith. One writer on this passage says, you will find in Christ an inexhaustible fountain of power. And only faith can get that. Only faith can get that power. But notice what Jesus is focusing on here as he is confronting and exhorting this father. Again, faith does not force Jesus to do what we want him to do. Rather, faith is sure and certain that Jesus is able to do whatever we ask him and that he will do whatever is for our good and our salvation. Faith is not being sure that Jesus is going to do this or that particular thing for you. It is being sure that he is able to do all that you ask and that he will do whatever you need. That's a very hard thing for sinners to do. And so in order to do that, and in order to trust that our Savior answers us according to His good purposes, our faith has to embrace a totally different kind of pattern than the one that the world gives us. It is the pattern that Jesus has laid down for us. It is the pattern of death and then resurrection. As we've seen for many weeks now, the way of Jesus is take up your cross. The way of Jesus is through the valley of shadows and then the mountain of glory. You live in the shadows now. That's what this life is. You will ascend fully with a glorified body into that holy place when Christ returns and sets up his kingdom in fullness. But now is the time of taking up our cross and receiving the power we need from the ascended Christ while we're down here in the thick of it. And Jesus reminds his disciples, even of this, once again, not through a kind of didactic kind of teaching, but through a very live illustration in verses 26 and 27. And it's beautiful how Mark describes it. After the demon departs from this child, the crowd all says he's dead. But with a mighty hand, 
it says that Jesus causes him to arise. The same word that Jesus says when he talks about his own resurrection. Here is the live pattern now here for you. It is death and then resurrection. It is cross and then crown. As we must remind ourselves again and again. And it is that pattern when we begin to embrace it that looks to Jesus and says, I will place my faith in you and I know that you can do all things and I will receive whatever you do in particular for me. Loved ones in Christ, the dark moments of life can trick you into thinking that God has abandoned you. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Let him use those moments of failure, of hardship, to grow your faith. All right, we've seen the absence of faith. We've seen the growth of faith. Lastly, this morning, we have to begin to exercise our faith. In both Matthew and Mark's account of this story, we see the disciples asking this question in verse 28. Why couldn't we cast out the demon? So both gospel writers record that question. But they record a different answer from Jesus. Which means Jesus said both. But the gospel writers have goals. They have literary goals in mind. They're, they're trying to teach us something in particular. And when we compare Jesus' answers in Matthew and in Mark, we find a really wonderful insight. In Matthew, Jesus' answer is, you, know, you couldn't cast out the demon because of your little faith. But here in Mark, Jesus' answer is, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The disciples lacked faith. They had small faith. And therefore, they neither prayed nor received the power that they needed. Because you see, there's a connection, a profound connection between faith and prayer. If you have faith... It will exercise itself in prayer. John Calvin says that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. It's the first thing that faith will begin to do, is to cry out to the Lord. Now, Jesus says this kind of demon only comes out by prayer. It was a particularly cruel demon that targeted and tried to end the life of a child. It was a particularly persistent demon that had reigned over this family for many years now. What does that tell us about prayer? Jesus doesn't say, well, did you try prayer? And they say, yeah, that didn't work. And he's like, all right, well, let's get the big guns out now. (laughs) No, he says, this kind only comes out by prayer. Because prayer is the chief exercise of faith. And like any skill, if you don't put it into practice, it wavers. If you don't exercise a muscle, it atrophies. And dear brothers and sisters, if you will not pray, your faith will not grow. It will begin to falter so that you lack the power you need in times of darkness and despair and demonic oppression. So... To not pray means your faith will falter, but to pray is to exercise that faith. It is to ascend the holy mountain of God where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, 
in order to gain from his gracious and merciful hand the strength that you need. It is at his right hand, the hand that raises this boy up from the dead, where all power resides. For example, listen to how this works in Psalm 57, verses 2 and 3. The psalmist says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That's prayer. He's crying out to the Lord. Now here's the power. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples upon me. I cry out to the Lord, and what is the ascended Lord's answer from his holy hill? It is to send from heaven and save. And to tread down upon the one who tries to trample upon us. What better example is there for us in the face particularly of spiritual oppression than this? And here in Mark 9, both the disciples and the boy's father teach us something about that kind of prayer. Even though they didn't mean to teach us anything good about that kind of prayer. First off, in the disciples asking the question, Jesus calls upon them to pray and reminds us of other passages where he teaches them specifically how to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is the sum of all our prayers against the enemy. Deliver us from evil. And then there's the boy's father who actually gives us two exemplary prayers. The first is, I believe, help my unbelief. A wonderful thing to take up on your own lips in your prayers to the Lord. Because this is the condition of all Christians, no matter where they are on their walk with Christ. We all have a mixture of faith and faithlessness. We are both righteous and sinners. And so we pray with this desperate father, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to overcome my unbelief. The second prayer this father gives us, it comes to us if you take away the word if from verse 22. So that we would pray, Lord, you can do anything. Have compassion and help us. There's the prayer that recognizes by faith that Jesus can do anything we ask and humbly submits to whatever his answer is actually is. You can do anything. Have compassion and help us. That is a faith that is certain that Jesus is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. That is the faith that ascends the holy mountain and finds the transfigured Lord Jesus Christ there in all his glory, not just a preview form like we read about last week, but he who has ascended the holy mountain of God and is there in heaven for you And when you come to him by faith through the exercise of prayer, what you find is his outstretched, scarred hands ready to give what you need. So come to him in faithful prayer and wait as he gives you all that you ask and imagine. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, who is pleased to condescend to speak to us through your word, grant us all grace that we may not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. 
Give us the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may believe what has been proclaimed to us. May we bring glory and honor to your name in all that we do as you conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen.